This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. I'm very, very, very grateful to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Dom, and everybody else for uh, coming tonight. It's not lost on me. Uh, the privilege and also the responsibility that I have being here with you tonight, sharing with you God's word, um, where I come from, what I've done, where I've been to be here tonight. Uh, I'm always, always, always humbled and uh, blown away that God has seen fit to get me here to this night, to get you here to this night. This is an ordained night. This isn't an accident that you got here tonight, that I'm here tonight um, to speak this word, to hear this word. So I'm grateful, and I hope that you'll be blessed by it. We're going to start tonight in Genesis 1. Just get right to it. Uh, starting in verse 26, going to verse 28, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. He's like talking about power here. Like you are put in charge, right? When he made man, he made him in his image and he made him with a creative power that is distinct only to man. We are the only ones made in his image. And he says, have dominion, have power, have control, subdue the earth. I have made you for this purpose. Psalm 139, verse 14 to 16, it says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unforeseen substance, my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God knows you, God knew you before anybody knew you, before you were ever a thought. He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not like an assembly line creation. You're not an accident. You're not, he wasn't just cranking them out one by one, but he says, I know I formed your inward parts. I know every part of you. I thought about you. So all those parts about you, you don't like. God specifically put them there and he says, I knew they would be there and I love those things about you. I created those things in you and I'm going to use those things in you. So you're not an accident. You didn't show up on accident. God didn't make you on accident. He says, there is, there is thought and there is wonder put into you. Jeremiah 1, 5 to 8 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. That's what we like to say. God calls us, someone compliments us, someone tries to build us up, and we just say, oh, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know how I really am, what I really feel about myself, what's really going on inside of me. I'm not capable of doing what you think I'm capable of doing, what God has called me to do. And he says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. That's for you. For to all 
to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And there are so many more scriptures where God speaks identity. Identity is God saying, I say who you are. I speak who you are. I declare who you are and what your purpose is and what the plan I have for you is. I declare, I say what makes you who you are. Not everything around you, not other people. I say that. I speak identity. And he does that over and over and over and over again through scripture. He says, I've created you in my image, my perfect image, to have dominion, to have power, to walk in authority. Right? I've known you. I've always known you. I will always know you, know you. And I've made you perfectly the way I want you to be. And I've given you a purpose. I've called you. I've consecrated you. I've set you apart. We actually sang a lot of these things tonight. We are God's holy people set apart to do his will. He speaks powerful words over you. As a youth, he says to Jeremiah. As a young person, he says, don't worry about everything else. I'm taking care of it. You just worry about what I say about you. And those are awesome things. These are very true things. They're alive in scripture. And once they become alive in you, they change everything. You don't, you don't hear these things, not just in your ears. You don't hear these things in your heart and have them become real to you and just keep living the same way you lived before. These are life-changing things. But I didn't know these things when I was your age. I didn't believe these things. I didn't know these things. I'd never heard these things. My life didn't speak these things. My mom and my dad divorced, um, Right after I was born, they actually separated before I was born. My dad moved to Florida. He was off in addiction. My mom stayed here. They eventually never worked it out, never got together again. And my mom raised me and my sister until we were seven or eight when my, she met my stepdad. My dad moved back um, when I was like five or six. And we did the weekend things. And, and uh, sometimes I'd spend weeks in the summer with him. But there, and, and my childhood wasn't terrible. The, the, the upbringing I had was... Uh, I'm very fortunate to have. My mom was amazing. My stepdad was awesome. But there was always this little something missing. I always found myself wanting to be noticed by a coach, noticed by a teacher, noticed by people in authority. There was this, this father hunger I had of like, of, there's just something not there. All of my other friends had their dads at home. And there's just something missing. There's a little something missing. And then I went to school and I was really small, like really, really small and really, really awkward. And, uh, uh, there was just, I was just an easy target. I actually have a, a picture, uh, if they have it, this picture of me being really small, holding the basketball. Do y'all have that picture? Whoever's on the computer? No picture. Oh, well, we were supposed to have a picture of me being really embarrassingly small, uh, but there's no picture. So you'll just have to picture it in your mind. Me looking like this without facial hair or gray hair, the same size head, eyes, ears, and a body like this big. And I was holding a basketball out in front of me like I was about to make a chest pass, and it's bigger than me. And I was in sixth grade. And uh, I was like, when I got to high school, I was like 90 pounds, four foot 11. When I was in junior high, they actually called me uh, Yo Quiero Taco Bell. So for the older people in the house that saw Taco Bell commercials in the 90s, there was a chihuahua on TV, and he would say, I want some Taco Bell, but he'd say it in Spanish. He'd say, yo quiero Taco Bell, like that. And so I'd walk down the hall at Paul Bro Junior High in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I'd be walking with friends or with a girl that I probably had a crush on, and I'd just hear from the hall, yo quiero Taco Bell, and then everybody'd say it, and you'd hear everybody laugh, and you just like want to crawl in a locker, you know, like, it's like just devastating to be 
the butt of everybody's jokes and to know you can't defend yourself. I learned that I was too small like to defend myself. So I just learned to just do the whole, ha that's funny, that doesn't hurt at all, I promise. No, that does, those aren't tears, those, I'm just crying because I'm laughing. You know, like, you learn to just cope with it. And then I got to high school and I got taller, but I didn't get any better looking. I just still stayed looking really awkward. And I uh, started playing baseball at school and they started making fun of me for this swollen leg I have. My right leg swells uh, pretty badly every day. So it's like real straight. It's a cankle. By the end of the day, it's like my calf to my ankles just swollen really bad. And so they started calling me pipe. It was like a straight leg. And uh, my sophomore year, and it was actually like the f- one of the first days of my sophomore year of baseball, we're in the weight room, and I heard, the first time I heard someone say pipe, I thought it was this other kid that was a sophomore, we moved up from the freshman team to play varsity, and he was like really, 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 really white, like super pale, his legs were super pale, and I thought they were calling him pipe because his legs were so white, I thought it was like a PVC pipe, and I remember thinking, I remember, I can still remember having the vivid thought of, at least it's not me. And then it was me. Turns out it was me they were talking about. And so for the next three years, I had to, I spent explaining to people that I just met what, like everybody called me pipe. What is, oh, what's, why do they call you pipe? And so like, I'm like, well, my leg swells, it's called Milroy's disease. And I explain it and I say, oh, let me see it. So then I'm like constantly showing off the thing I've become most insecure about. Before that, I wasn't even insecure about it. Before it was pointed out to me by everybody around me that that thing is uglier, that thing is awkward, or that thing is funny, and that thing is something to be made fun of. I didn't even know that I should be ashamed of it. And by the end of my high school years, I did. I would wear jeans to pool parties. And when no one was looking, I'd like have my bathing suit off on, on underneath. And I'd take the jeans off and I'd jump in the pool as fast as possible. It became this thing that my life revolved around. Because kids are mean. And almost everyone is insecure. And all these kids that were picking on me were insecure. And you just find the weakest link or find someone around you. These older kids that I was playing with just thought it was funny and it, it, it fed something in them to pick on something in me. It's survival. It's, uh, I was the weakest one. It's, it's find the weakest link. And, uh, but I made it through high school okay. There wasn't all dark times, you know. But through junior high, there's just something missing. There's things I learned about myself that I don't like that are pointed out to me. And then through high school, there's things that I learned about myself that I don't like that, 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 that just, there's something, a little something missing. And that's just my little story. I learned to live with this weak feeling. I learned uh, not to put myself out there too much. I learned to laugh it off. Eventually, I learned that drugs gave me this false sense of confidence that I didn't have on my own that made me feel like the person I really wanted to be until it destroyed everything in my life. And that's my story, but we all have our own little stories with our own little something's missing. There's no doubt every single one of you in the room tonight, no matter how confident you appear or how scared you appear, how, how outspoken you are or how much you like to hide in the corner, everyone is medicating something. Everybody is carrying some sort of baggage or burden, something that we don't, Uh, like about ourselves, something that doesn't line up with what God says about us. So if you take enough of those things, though, and you believe them, then you get this belief system. It's not just a, a thing here, a thing there, a thing here, a thing there. It's this whole belief system built on fear and rejection, or fear of rejection, or fear of failure, or fear of man, fear of stepping out, fear of being embarrassed. It's fear, 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 fear. But as we read in the opening scriptures, God did not create you this way. 
God did not create you to be afraid. God did not create you to be insecure. God did not create you to be scared to step out and be bold and live the way that he called you to live. He created you, he said, in his image. But a lot of times life teaches us something different, whether it's in our home or in our schools, our circle of friends, social media, regular media, whatever it is. We have all these things battling for our attention and trying to speak identity. Everyone's trying to tell you whether they're doing it on purpose or it's just their own stuff that they're dealing with. Everyone's trying to tell you who you are and how you should feel about yourself and how you should feel about the world and how you should feel about God. But God created you differently. And then he gave the life that he gave to you. He put that into his son. He put that image on earth. We actually sang that tonight too. Tonight too. He put the image of God comes into flesh onto the earth. His perfect son to live the perfect life. So that we have not only the scriptures from the Old Testament that tell us what we should know about ourselves. But we, we now have a picture of what it looks like to come down to earth the image of God what we were created in, and, and how he lived, and what he did, and what his attributes were. And then he buys us back in salvation, and we inherit those attributes. Through faith, we inherit the attributes of Christ, the things we see in Christ, the things you have been learning as you're, you've journeyed through Matthew, the things that you have seen Jesus do, the heart, the character that he shows. He says, you have been made in that image to walk like he walked. We are heirs of the king, but we just want to be liked by the people around us. He says, you have been called to be a son or a daughter of a most high God, the God of the entire universe, he says, and you are co-heirs. There's a spirit of adoption. You have been taken into his family. These are all powerful words. And he says, this is what is offered to you. And then so often as we come to church and we go to school and we go home and we just hope that nothing terrible happens. And we just want to be liked. Or we just don't want to get picked on. Or we just don't want to be hurt. Sometimes we just don't want to be noticed. Or sometimes we always want to be noticed. Because we have to prove that we have something to offer. And we're living for everything going on around us instead of what God has already said about us. But we are not created to be scared and insecure. We are, we are created to be like him. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Jesus is the perfect creation, and his holy attributes are endless. So tonight we're just going to look at one in Matthew 21. We're going to focus on authority. The authority that he walks in, in the scripture that he exhibits, and then we will examine ourselves to see if we are walking in that same authority. If we are walking in the likeness of the one that we have been created in the image of. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you have preordained this time, God, that you have set us here tonight. God, we're asking big things. God, we're asking for radical transformation in hearts, God. I pray for each and every person in this room, God, no matter how old or how young, that our hearts would be transformed by your word tonight, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God. There is no other force on this planet that transforms hearts in a single moment, God. You can, you can speak a word tonight. We're asking you to do that, God. Speak a word to someone that's in need of that word, God, that their, their whole, their whole perspective, their whole perspective on who they are and who you are and what that relationship looks like and what the calling is on their life and how they're to walk, I pray that that whole thing would be changed. That fear 
would, would be abolished, God. Your word says that perfect love casts out all fear. That when we are in the presence of the holy God, there is no fear. And I've been there, God. We've been in your presence before where there's nothing to be afraid of. And our hearts cry out, there's no place I'd rather be than where I am right now. Help us to get to that place, God. Help us to expect that you can deliver us from our bondage. And do a work in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 21, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read all the way through the passage I've been given tonight, which is to uh, verse 22, and then we'll just, we're going to pull a few points uh, out of this passage. So verse 1, chapter 21, says this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on their, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig leaf the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So, That's the whole story. Now we're going to break it down into three different parts. The first part, let's set the setting. It looks like this. Jesus is going into Jerusalem and he knows he's going to die. We know this just the the previous chapter in chapter 20. He tells the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. And the the chief uh, priests and the scribes and the Pharisees are going to take me and they're going to hand me over to the uh, Gentiles and they're going to flog me and mock me and crucify me. On the third day, the Son of Man will be raised from the dead. So it's not like... He's showing up just to visit. He's on purpose. He's coming on a mission. And he doesn't do it silently or secretly. This time he comes into Jerusalem with a parade. 
Before this, up until this point, most of the time Jesus encounters, when he encounters people and he does a mighty work or he's, or he's doing the Father's will, he tells them a lot after that, like, don't tell anyone. He's suppressing the, the movement. But now he's saying it's time and he's not suppressing anymore. He's coming in with an entrance, a mighty entrance. He knows he's going to be arrested, but he enters in a very public way. He is full of authority. And when I read this passage, when I read all three sections of this passage, the word that sticks out is authority. I see a man that knows who he is. He knows who he is. He knows who he belongs to. He is sure of what God created him to be. He knows what he is there to do. There's no questioning. He's not doubting. He is king. He has authority. But he's also humble and gracious. So often we exercise or we see authority exercised in arrogance or in boasting, or in in, in an abuse of power. I know a lot of times growing up when I was your age, the people around me, my age, that commanded authority usually did it in ungodly ways, either by bullying people or by by sinning, you know, partying the most or being the most popular or uh, uh, whatever it was. It was an all-about-me thing that commanded the authority. But Jesus does not come into the city that way. He doesn't have anything to prove. He doesn't even announce himself. The people announce him. And when he arrives in Jerusalem, they say, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They know who he is. He doesn't have to announce it. He comes in on a donkey, not riding on a, on a big horse. And dating back to First and Second Samuel, royalty came in on donkeys. But by this point, kings... And leaders and important people were now coming in on, the Jews already had a line of horses now. People rode on horses. It was only a work animal now. So he's like, he's hearkening back to a time of uh, royalty, but at the same time, he's doing it to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah saying, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt. He starts off by sending the two disciples ahead of him to get these donkeys. And he just claims them. He just claims, he says, go into the city and get these two donkeys. They're going to be there. And if anybody says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them. And just take them. And they're going to say, okay, you can have them. And so he's already doing what, he's, he's already walking in the power that God has called him to walk in. I imagine that if I were one of the disciples and he told me to do that, I'd feel pretty uh, insecure and scared about that. Like you're telling me just to go and take someone's donkeys. Stealing is pretty frowned upon even now, but especially then there's like a death sentence for taking people's donkeys. And he's just saying, go and take them and just say, God told me to do it. And people are going to say, okay, but it all works out because it works out, of course, because he said to do it. And then he comes in and people bow before him. He is king because he knows who he is. He doesn't have to build himself up. It's genuine. He belongs to the creator of the universe. It is a confidence built on who created him. The question is, do you know who you are? Are you confident because of who made you? Or are you afraid of people? Are you afraid of what's going on around you? Are you afraid of being rejected or hurt or embarrassed? Do you constantly feel the need to prove yourself? You have been given the spirit the same spirit that Jesus Christ walks in, this power of authority. And he says, 
you have to walk in it. You have been given authority and power and love, a real love. This real love that is not the love that we have sold ourselves for, but it's a love that transforms us. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, it says, Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. We see so often fighting for love in this insistent way, in this arrogant way, in this prideful way, in this boastful way. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And that's what I ended up doing. It was like I so badly did not want to be rejected and nobody that I would become anybody that you wanted me to be. I'd sell myself, I'd compromise my character, I'd do whatever was required to get you to like me. And it turned out to be the thing that almost killed me. But when you really know who made you and who loves you, and who loves you, you can love and live like him, without fear and without arrogance. You can be bold and confident without being full of pride. So the first thing is, he knows who he is. Do you know who you are? Does it, does it, do, you like, do you really know? Does it really matter to you? Does it really mean anything to you? Is it just bouncing around in your head that you belong to God, that you have access to a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or is it just something that you hear a lot? Because when we grow up in church, sometimes we can just hear these things and it doesn't mean anything to us. Second thing is then we see Jesus go into the temple and he drives out everyone who bought and sold in the temple. And Pastor Dom actually preached a couple of weeks ago, weekends ago on a Sunday on a similar translation, a similar story in John. But we see here, it's the same, it's the same thing. He comes into the city during, during a, a, a time when everyone is coming in from out of town. And so they're selling these doves if they're, it, for sometimes up to 20 times more than what they are normally going for. And if you bring your own doves, if you bring your own animals for sacrifice, they'll tell you that they're, unpu- that they're impure, that they're not from the right place, and then they force you to sell, they force you to buy these, these animals at, 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 a, at a gouged, uh, inflated price. And so he comes in, and he clears everyone out, and he says that it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you, have make, you make it a den of robbers. You make it a den of robbers. He hungers and thirsts for righteousness, and he exercises authority to do what is right, and he is not afraid. He does this in front of the people that he knows are about to arrest him and kill him, and he ruins their business. He walks into the temple. He says before this, he says in Matthew 20, he says, they are going to arrest me and turn me over to be flogged and mocked and beaten, and then I'll be raised on the third day. And then his disciples are so moved by that, they say, that's good. I'm going to ask you a question. Can I, John and James are like, uh, can I be at your right hand and, and, uh, can, can he be on your left, on your left side? And Jesus is, I imagine he's like, did you not just hear what I said? That's like if I told you, like, hey, we're going, uh, we're going to go to Thibodeau tonight and, um, we're going to go for a revival in Thibodeau, all of us, but they're going to arrest me when they get, when we get there and they're going to, they're going to flog me, like beat me and with the cat of nine tails and rip flesh out of my back and they're going to mock me and spit on me. And they're going to hang me on a cross. These people would have known what a crucifixion was. And I'm going to die. And then that's terrible. But then I'm going to actually come out of the grave three days later. And you're going to, I'm going to walk around. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And you'd be like, 
cool. Like, uh, can I have shotgun and maybe we could stop at like Taco Bell on the way because I'm hungry. That's like the response. It's like it goes right over their head. It doesn't mean anything to them. But to him, he is very aware of what's about to happen. And he walks into the temple, into the battleground, and he just clears everything out. And he says, not in my father's house. And so he exercises this authority. And so he's telling us, you have been given authority to do what is right. No matter what's going on around you, you have been given authority so that you can do what is right. Because there's always going to be pressure to do what's wrong. There's always going to be pressure to fit in. There's always going to be pressure to do what the people around you are doing and to not hear from God and to not do what God says for us to do. It's always going to be easier. The Bible promises us it will always be easier to just fit in, to just go with the flow, to find the path of least resistance. Jesus tells us, he says, wide is the gate to destruction. Many will go through it. It's the easy way. The gate is wide. You don't have to change much to fit in. You can just be a chameleon. You can just do what everybody else is doing. You find out what looks right, what everybody's saying, what everybody's wearing, what everybody's doing, and you just mirror it. And it doesn't cost you anything, and it requires no character, and it requires no change, it requires no transformative power. It's just easy. And if you want that, he says, you can have it. It's there. It's wide open. Everybody's doing it. But he says, if you follow after me, if you claim to be made in my image and you have received my spirit in you, then you have authority. And with that authority comes a cost to do what is right, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, because you were made for more than just fitting in. I didn't know that for a long time. A lot of you tonight, it's just going to bounce around in your ears. It's not going to mean anything because I probably sat through speeches like this and I didn't, it didn't change anything in me. But hopefully I'm praying that some of you or one of you at least, here's what I'm saying tonight. It's empty. The fight to fit in is empty. There's nothing in it. He tells us this. He says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. We're all looking to be satisfied. That thing you're, that thing you're trying to fill yourself with, you're just trying to be full of something. We're always inputting something, trying to fill ourselves. And when we're feeding the flesh... When we're just fitting in, when we're just doing what everybody's doing around us, when we just want to be liked or we just want to have fun or we just want to do the next thing that's, uh, that, that, that everybody else is doing. He says, you just keep having to feed yourself those things and you're never going to be satisfied. But he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you can eat, you can eat what everyone else eats around you, but you'll continually feel the need to, to keep eating. He says, but if you hunger, if you, what you hunger for is righteousness, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what he says, for the protection, for the, uh, for the upholding of the holiness of the Father's house, and we are the Father's house, if you are fighting for holiness inside of you, if you are trying to live the way that God has called you to live, he says, you will be satisfied. Doing what's right is hard sometimes, standing up for people is hard sometimes, saying no to sin. It's hard sometimes. Look, my mom told me so many times the things that I should and should not do, and I just thought she was old. I did. I just thought, you're old, and you don't understand. I would say, oh, yeah, you're right, you know. I believe you. But what I really thought is you're old, and you used to understand that times have changed. That things are different now. And that's how they did it back, you know, in the 20s and 30s. That's what I'd say. I know that's how they did it in the 20s and 30s when y'all didn't have telephones yet, but now... 
But now we have technology, and you like get all sarcastic, you know, and, and I'd mess with her, and we would joke around, but I was not receiving. And I remember my grandfather always telling me, I'd be at his house, and I'd like lay on the floor watching TV or something, and he'd kick me and say, you know, I wish I could be 16 again when I was the smartest person on earth, and I knew everything there was to know. And I'd be like, you're really old, you know? Uh, and, and, but but there were, now looking back, I see, I see that there was this arrogance in me. There was this thing in me that thought... I know what I'm doing here. All right? I know what I'm doing. And what you think is right is old school. What I, what I think is right is what everybody's doing. And this is what it's going to be. And I bit, I, bit that, I bit that thing, hook, line, and sinker. And I almost drowned. Because living boldly for God, doing the right things, is really hard sometimes. And I know it is for you. But what the Bible tells us, and what I know from experience, that everything else is empty and never satisfying. Never. And the last thing is Jesus, uh, Jesus wakes up the next morning and he's hungry and he goes to eat a fig tree and he goes to the fig tree to get some figs and there's no figs. There's just leaves. And apparently this upsets Jesus. He must have been really hungry. And uh, he curses. He curses the tree. He says, may, f- may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So the disciples are amazed. And he says, If you're amazed by that, I could blow your mind. If you're amazed by what I did to the fig tree, I'm telling you that if you really believe, if you have faith and you don't doubt, you could tell the mountain to fly into the sea. If you really believed. So he's saying you have been given the same authority. You have been given authority to ask for the impossible. And he says, I have been given authority to grant it. You have been given authority to ask for the impossible, and he has been given authority to grant it. And then tonight when they said, does anyone need prayer, a lot of you just sit there. You're at church, and I'm not saying I get prayer every time it's offered either. But what I am saying is that I don't think we truly have the proper perspective of what is being offered to us. That what we're offering when someone says, can I pray for you, is communion between you and the creator of the universe. The unlimited power of the creator of the, the creator of the universe says, I want to speak to you. I want to hear from you. He says, ask me anything. Ask me anything. And he says, I will grant it. Now, granted, he's not going to tell us yes to everything. But he says, ask me anything. And this is what God has been pressing on me. He's been saying, don't not have what I want to do in your life because you didn't ask for it. Like, if I start asking for God to just blow a place of restoration out of the water, like right now what we, what, we, what we think we know is that there are limits on how many people we can house out there. And God's saying, why don't you just test me? I've, sat, I've, just, I've just sat silently and scared under that umbrella. We can't expand. Oh, they've already told us no. I, don't, I never even heard the no. It's been passed down to me from other people. And he's saying, don't, don't not grow as big as I want you to be because you didn't ask me to. Why aren't you on your knees every day? Don't you believe that I am who I say I am? If you don't believe it, then don't say it. 
Because if you believe that I am the infinite creator of the universe, then I can do things that are way, way, way outside of what you think is possible. And so this is hard for me. I know it's hard for you. I'm going through this stuff on a daily basis. This is my journal from today. I told God, I said, stretch me, please, Lord. Help me to walk in faith today so that I can serve you the way you are worthy of being served. I know that I cannot please you without faith. I want to please you. I want to have radical, humble, desperate faith. When I, when I step out in faith today, please meet me there. Please, Lord, let your will be done to me today. I don't want to miss your will because I was too scared to believe and ask for it. And I felt like he was saying this back to me. Part of the reason you have trouble with believing and stepping out and being consistent and committed is because you have stopped coming to me with expectation. You haven't let me wow you in a long time. I want to do far more abundantly than you could ask or think. You haven't even stressed the boundaries of what you can ask and think. I don't just want to do what you can think. I don't just want to do more than you can think. I want to do far more abundantly, overflowingly, than you could ever ask or think. I love you. So to me, that's like him telling the disciples, if you believe, if you really believe and you don't doubt, I could, you, could, you could tell the mountain to fly into the sea and we're like, Pfft. but what he's telling them is there is a level of faith that you have not even begun to tap into yet. If you think this is impressive, fleece me, ask me, test me, ask me to do way more than you think is possible. And if I don't do it, the worst that can happen is you're right where you were before sitting at my feet, seeking my face, seeking my presence, asking me, relationship is being built. And if I do answer it, then your faith has grown and I'm going to do mighty works through you. Or if I answer to a lesser degree. But so often, God doesn't do what he wants to do in us because we don't open ourselves up to it. It says when, when, when he goes to his hometown, it says very few miracles were done there because people knew him as Jesus the carpenter. Not as Jesus the Savior. We do not have the power to perform the miracles. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. But through scripture we know that we do have the power to limit, it, to limit God's miracle working power in our own lives through our own doubt. He says, if you have faith and do not doubt. Through our own doubt, we put God in a box and we keep him from doing what he wants to do in us. And through us, we have the God of the universe saying, ask anything. But we do not have because we do not ask. It's so easy to just go in the day-to-day in survival mode. I know being your age, I know it's easier to come here tonight and just be here. And to go to school tomorrow and just be there. And to just hang out with friends and just wait for the next day. And wait for the next season. But he's saying, you don't have to be stuck. We don't feel powerful even though we claim to know the source of all power. We don't feel confident even though we are children of a king. God is telling you to ask him for big things. He wants to fill you with his spirit so that you can be full of life and live out his will for your life. He wants you to walk in the authority that you were created to walk in. But you have to believe. And I can't do that in you. Nobody can do that in you. You have to have a desire in you that God has already placed in your heart to come to him and say, God, transform me, change me. You have to lift your focus off of what is around you and set your gaze on him. It's so easy. I see some of you tonight with your focus on what's around you. It's so easy to just not be present 
in his presence. It's so easy to check the boxes of church, check the boxes of relationships, and not really, really, really be open for God to do the miraculous, the big things. I'm not talking about always moving mountains. I'm talking about the, the stuff in us, the stuff that we don't like about ourselves. God, tra- transform, transform the way I see myself. Help me to see myself the way you see me. Help me to walk in confidence. Help me to stand up for you. Help me to live for you today. I need your spirit. I know it. Look, I desperately need God's, God's spirit working in me in a powerful, miraculous way just to overcome myself on a daily basis. That's a miracle in itself. I can have a day where I serve him faithfully. And for you, it's even harder. So you need to be begging God to do transformative, miraculous works in you to do what he has called you to do. We become what we behold. What we look at, what we behold, what we, what we exalt in our lives is what we become. If what you behold, if what you want out of your life, if what you want on a daily day basis, and you can measure this, the proof of desire is pursuit. And you can measure your pursuit by your time, your money, and your thoughts. Where are you spending them? If we claim to be a Christian, if we claim to be sold out disciples of Jesus Christ, but all of our time and our money and our thoughts goes into self, then we're really, we're really disciples of self. We're really disciples of culture. We're really disciples, disciples of fitting in. Measure yourself. Examine yourself. If you don't know how far off you are, then you can't know how bad you need God to bring you back. And when the Spirit of God convicts us, it's never in a way that says, look how bad you are, look how much of a failure you are. When his word cuts us like a two-edged sword, when it's, when it's specific and it's pierced and it opens us up, it's always in a way that says, come back to me. But if we don't ask, if we're not open, then we can't even know. When we look to this world, when we behold this world, we become insecure thieves like the people in the temple. We just fit in. That's just what everybody was doing. They had been doing it and doing it and doing it for generations and no one thought anything of it to turn the house of God into a place to rob people. People that claim to know God are thieves because they just were, they were, all they cared about was beholding an earthly system. But when we look to Him, we become royalty. You are royalty. You are heirs. The old hymn says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we focus on God, and he becomes what we behold. When we're staring at him, when we're begging him, when we're seeking him, when we're going after him, the things of this earth, the things that have grabbed us before, they, they lose their importance. You can't explain it, it just happens. The need for those things is loosed. And what you want is more of him. And when you get more of him, you get more of his authority. The root word of authority, the same root word is author. Author comes from the same place. Who are you letting write your story? Who are you letting author this life? You only get one, and right now it seems like it's going to go forever, but it's not. It's not. Now I'm the age my mom was when I was thinking she was old. And I have gray hairs, and my body hurts. And I can't do the things I used to do, or I still can, but now it just hurts more. And it happens quick, and I don't know when it happened. Who are you letting write your story? I let 25 years of my life disappear. From the time I was 18 to 25, I'd barely remember. 
And I destroyed relationships and almost killed my mom. And my grandmother died six weeks before I got sober. And she was praying for me every day. And I stole from her. One time I can't broke into her house. And she was sleeping in her bed. And I crawled on the floor to her medicine cabinet right next to her bed and stole Xanax from her. And she died three weeks later. And I had to live with that because I chose to serve myself. I chose to let comfort and fitting in and what everybody else was doing author my story. And I had no authority. I didn't walk in any authority. I just walked in cheap thievery. And you don't have to do that. But it's more serious than you think it is. Press in. Stare at him. Behold him. Go after him. Walk in the authority he has already granted you. And you will be satisfied. There is no regretting that. You just have to be open for it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight, God. I thank you that your word never returns void. I thank you that no matter... What we come here with, no matter where we come from or what we've done, no matter where our hearts were before we got here, no matter what baggage we're carrying or what hurts we have or what things we're hiding or covering up, your word about us never changes. We are yours. We belong to you. Just like my kids belong to me, and when I get home, I don't care if they've been good or bad. I don't even check first. All I wait to hear is those footsteps and that loud daddy And I just hit the floor and all I want to do is hold them. And I just know that you feel the same way about us. You say, come to me however. Come to me however and I just want to love you. And I just want to change the way you see yourself. And I want to change the way you see me. And I want to change the way you walk in this life. And I want to give you power and authority. I want you to walk in real love. Not the counterfeit stuff that's floating around. So I just thank you. I just thank you God that you said that about me. And I thank you in advance for the works that you are doing and these people in this room, God, for the words that you're, gonna, you're speaking tonight and that you're going to follow up with in the days to come. I pray, I pray against stagnancy, God. I pray against uh, complacency. And I pray that if something was pricked tonight, that the people whose hearts were pricked tonight, they, they go home tonight and they, they don't delay, they don't wait, but they run to you. And they say, God, I want that from you. And then tomorrow morning they wake up and they want more of you and then more of you. And we just know that we can never get enough of you. And I thank you that you are an unending source of life and love and identity and authority. We give you the glory. You are the only reason. Apart from you, apart from you, we turn into the fallen, broken people that we come to you as. So we just thank you, God, for your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus. Jesus.